Medical Monday is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Discam. Pharmacist to care. And good morning to you. My name is Kathy Kayla and I'm your host for the next hour and on this Discam Medical Monday. Now, uh, a little bit later, we're going to be speaking to uh, an expert on sun safe, staying safe in the sun. You know, one thing that I've learned from speaking to uh, two experts on skin care is that it's the damage done in childhood that has the greatest impact on us and uh, often translates into skin cancer later on in life. So these are things that you can do now, but they're also things to look out for with your children because, you know, often we think, well, we'll just slather them up with some, uh, you know, anti or sun protection and uh, we think, well, we've done our job. But uh, apparently we're getting it all wrong going to be speaking to uh, Dr. Ishad Mohammed Isak. He's a dermatologist. Going to be speaking to him about that. But uh, before we go along, before we go on, I do want to tell you that yesterday, the 3rd of December, marked the world's first heart transplant. It is 50 years. On the 3rd of December, 1967, South African doctor, Dr. Christian Chris Barnard, performed the world's first human-to-human heart transplant at Hrutuskia Hospital in Cape Town. Isn't that amazing? 50 years? That's uh, that's incredible. Um, I came across this article. You know, often we hear about the successes of transplants, and obviously then, you know, you can follow the progress of the patient who has received or or the recipient of the heart transplant. But often we forget that that heart and that organ had to have come from somebody. And uh, I wanted to just take a few minutes just to pay tribute to the lady who donated that first heart. Her name was Denise Darvell. She was known as Denny to her family. She was the breadwinner in the family. And she was paid 120 rand a month. That was her salary. And on that, she could buy a Ford Anglia. And uh, her and her parents and her little boy were actually on their way into town. Um, a truck came out as they were crossing the road. They were crossing before a stationary truck, and they couldn't see the oncoming traffic, and another truck pulled out from behind the stationary truck and uh, plowed into them, and they were killed instantly. And that is where the heart came from. And uh, it really is a tremendous legacy to be able to pass on Organs and give somebody else the opportunity for life. I really think uh, if you want to know about the case, go and watch. Uh, it's a movie. It's uh, featuring Will Smith. It's called Seven Pounds. Go and watch that movie. It will change the way that you see the world. It will change the way that you... It's just an incredibly, profoundly brilliant movie. So uh, go and check it out. But 50 years today... Well, 50 years yesterday, actually, since the first heart transplant was done right here in South Africa. Innovation. Okay, moving on. We're going to be talking about, you know, sun safe. What does that mean? It's not about just putting armbands on your children when they get into the swimming pool. This is much more profound because often the things that are most dangerous to us are the things that we don't actually see. December's here, whether you're going off to the coast or whether you're staying here in Johannesburg, 
you are going to be exposed more to the sun. It's logical because a lot of people are on leave. Whether you're going away or not, you're going to be spending more time outdoors, hopefully. Hopefully not couch potatoing. You know, use the time. Get out. It will uh, expand your mind. It will expand your horizons. It will make you feel like you've had a holiday. Um, But alongside of all the benefits of, of getting outdoors, there is a very, very real challenge um, of our sun. We have an incredibly, incredibly harsh sun here in South Africa. And if anyone who's got uh, leather couches or leather furniture, if you see areas of your couch that are exposed to the sun, it gets very, very hard and then it cracks and then it breaks. And that is thick, thick leather. Imagine the skin on your face and the skin on your body. So uh, without much further ado, I'd like to welcome my very special guest, Dr. Ishad Mohammed Esak. He's a, de- he's a dermatologist. He comes bearing gifts this morning. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's always a pleasure, Kathy. Thanks a lot. So lovely to have you here. We're talking about SunSafe, and you've just got such a great way of teaching about SunSafe. So uh, I just thought we have to do this. We have to do this before uh, before December, so that everybody can remember about you know the rules about staying in the sun, mm. and it's something that you'll always remember for life. If you'd like to get in touch with us, if you have any comments, any questions, then please do. How you get in touch with us is you can send an SMS message on 34519. Those, those text messages are charged at 1 Rand 50. And then for free, if you're on Wi-Fi or on data, well, data is not free actually, uh, you can WhatsApp us on 061. What is it? Zero six one eight nine five one zero one nine. Zero six one eight nine five one zero one nine. Okay, let's talk about SunSafe. I think the the important thing is that, like you mentioned, there are advantages of being out in the sun and there are also disadvantages of being out in the sun. But I think everything in moderation should keep you relatively safe. I think in terms of um, sun protection, a lot of people have this um, impression that sunscreens or uh, items applied to the skin are your sole way of protecting yourself from the sunlight. But I think if we could start with a few common sense ideas, even before we get to the sunscreen part of things, uh, that will help the listeners to understand how they can go, even from a day-to-day basis, not only in summer, but on a day-to-day basis, how they can go about protecting themselves in the sunlight. And as you rightly pointed out at the very beginning of the show, a lot of the sun damage that is done that will put you at risk of the development of skin cancers in the long run is usually incurred by the age of between 20 to 25. So it's those those kiddies that you're actually worrying about in the adolescence uh, who are most prone to the sun damage, but they are also the ones who are going to be the, that's going to be outdoors the most in view of activities and recreational um, activities. So I think if you want to take the time of the day, especially in summer, here, like you pointed out again, that the African sun is quite, can, be, can be quite vicious and harsh. If you consider your activities between, say, 10 o'clock and around half past 2 to 3 o'clock in the afternoon. If you can avoid being in the direct sunlight at that point in time, that itself will, will, will assist you. Bearing in mind that the UV indices at that point in time in the day is going to be at its peak or at its highest. A lot of us also don't, don't realize that even on a relatively cloudy day, you could get fairly high 
doses of UVB and UVA being penetrant, and that could also um, damage the skin, especially in the in the middle part of the day. So if there's an activity that you actually want to participate in, and if you do have a choice or if you do have an influence on the time of that of that activity, for example. Um, let's say it's road running or jogging or taking your kiddies to the park or something of that sort. If you could delay that or if you could arrange that activity outside of 10 o'clock to, to 3 o'clock in the afternoon, that in itself will reduce the amount of sunlight exposure you're actually getting. Bearing in mind that whether you expose earlier in the day or later in the day would still be relatively adequate for you to generate or to activate your vitamin D. So don't be too concerned about that. Um, the other thing that you can embark upon is uh, get into the habit of wearing longer sleeved clothing uh, and as far as possible, uh, longer trousers as well. Um, we don't realize that the clothing we wear plays a large role in protecting the outer layer of the skin. Like you would protect yourself from, example, the elements like the cold and the wind, the, your, your, your clothing can also provide you with fairly decent protection. That having been said, the, the fabric or the weave of the fabric is also very important. Uh-huh. Obviously, uh, you want to be something that is more um, dense, or, dense or, or, or closely woven fabrics will certainly pr- provide you with a, um, with a better um, uh, level of protection. Uh, for example, something that is see-through, if you could see visible light through the, through the garment, it's most likely that UVB and UVA are going to be able to penetrate through that as well. Right. So, so wearing a, a crocheted or a or a, um, or a knitted or a, or or a chiffon, chiffon top yeah. doesn't afford, afford you as much protection, for example, as, as denim fabric. And, like, the, and the same with, with pantyhose. Absolutely. With nylon pantyhose, the, if you can see your legs through it, it's, I, going to have, it's going to have zero effect in the sun. For example, a fishnet stocking is yes. not going to provide you any, any protection. Right. So... Uh, a, a tighter or a denser woven fabric will certainly provide you with better protection. Um, now, you find a lot of people, especially when they are swimming, they'd wear their, their swimming costumes and then they'll, they'll use a very loose-fitting um, sundress um, over that. Again, if the fabric is relatively thinly woven, uh, it's probably going to be more of a fashion statement rather than providing you with any, any decent uh, sun protection. And again... Uh, a sundress, for example, you do get those that would have a long sleeve. Um, so actually, ideally, ideally, is long sleeves and long pants. Is long sleeves, long pants, and if you're going to be exposed in the sun and you're going to be swimming, you know, there's something behind the bikini. Absolutely, <laughs> just saying. Absolutely, uh, there, there, there's, there there's really a lot of is. merit. There's a lot of merit in in uh, in how those are used uh, in terms of from a sun protection point of view. Uh, it does. Provide uh, very very good protection and yeah. the incidence and the fabric is also quite dense. Absolutely, there there are a lot of companies that actually make those um, products um, out of fabrics that are amenable to swimming. Yes, so uh, you can swim comfortably in the uh, in those. Uh, if you take for example our um, uh, our cricket players, you'll find a lot of them even on a, on a five day test match. You'd find them wearing long sleeves. Uh, even though they're out in the sun for six, eight hours, depending on, on the, the warm-up and the entire match and then they warm down at the end of the day, that's a long time in the sun. And they are very, very um, prone to the development of skin cancers in the long run. Yeah. But you'd still find them, the majority of those players, perhaps maybe the 
the bowlers may may want to prefer not to wear long sleeves, but generally, you'll find them wearing sunscreens for exactly that same reason. Does does color have an influence? You know, if you're wearing, um, say, lycra, yeah, you know, or swimming costume material, white versus black. Black is obviously going to be hotter. Yeah, in, in, yeah. In terms of in terms of the sun protection itself, probably not much of a difference. But in terms of how you heat up underneath that particular color, obviously lighter colors or whites are far more reflective. Yeah. Whereas black colors will be a, a lot more um, absorbent of uh, of solar radiation. So you would feel a little bit warmer from a temperature point of view or from a thermoregulatory point of view. Uh, bearing in mind, that may in the longer run impact on whether you wear a long sleeve or a short sleeve. So you may be a little bit more comfortable and tolerant of the heat in a long sleeved white uh, top compared, compared to a, uh, a long sleeved black top. So you'll be more tempted to want to change the black top for a short sleeve top, right. so the white sleeve will make you a little bit more uh, tolerant of the of the heat, and therefore will allow you to keep it on for a lot, lot, uh, a lot, lot longer. So the clothing that you actually wear uh, plays plays a, a great role. And then in terms of seeking the shade, for exactly those same those same uh, uh, times in the day, even if you are ha- happen to be outdoors, uh, poolside or near the beach or just lounging around, you'd better off. Under uh, under a shaded area like an umbrella or a veranda, and but also bear in mind that even though you may be in the shade, ultraviolet light does reflect off certain surfaces, and you'll find that um, water on a pool, um, white painted um, walls around you would also reflect UV. So even though you may be, uh, you may argue that I'm under the shade, you are still exposed to ultraviolet light. And that is the type of light that tends to burn you. So if you're lounging by the pool on a pool lounger underneath underneath um, um, an umbrella, it wouldn't be a bad idea to take your take the towel um, and cover over your thighs and legs so you don't get that excessive um, exposure or unnecessary exposure. Right, your f- the reflected from uh, the reflected UV. from the reflected UV. Correct. Okay, what is the difference between UVA and U- UVB? Okay, UVA and UVB, the, the main difference between them is, if I could put them very, very, uh, very, very simply, uh, they are different wavelengths of light. Um, depending on which spectrum of light you're looking at, uh, these, these types of light are invisible to the eye, both A and B. Um, and the important thing is that if you look at UVB, if, if from a remembering point of view, UVB will tend to burn you, whereas UVA will tend to aid you. Um, Very clearly. Just as as an easy way to remember it, Uh, but these types of ultraviolet light um, are usually uh, quite dangerous if you are excessively exposing yourself to them. Bearing in mind that we, in medicine and especially in dermatology, we do use UVA and UVB, and you remember the show that we did on psoriasis, Mm. phototherapy or light therapy with UVA or UVB. Uh, with or without additional uh, me- applied or oral medication can be used to treat certain types of skin disorders. So th- so light, uh, whether UVA or UVB, does not necessarily need to be feared. But if you enjoy it responsibly, like most other things it we have out controlled. there, we, we can make good use out of it and we tend not to have m- much problem in the, in the long run. Yeah. 
If you've got any questions, if you've got any comments, then uh, send them through. The text line is 34519. Those, to- those texts are charged at 1 Rand 50. You can also WhatsApp, send a WhatsApp on 061 895 1019. Okay, that's 061 895 1019. And uh, yeah, I'll put your questions forward to my guest, who's Dr. Ishad Mohammed Esak. He's a dermatologist. And uh, I'm going to be talking just after. We pay the rent and, and take an ad break. We're going to be talking about how to recognize skin cancers, which I think is very, very important. We'll be right back. Medical Monday is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Discam, pharmacists to care. Thank you so much for joining me. My name is Kathy Kayla, and this is the Discam Medical Monday. We're talking about SunSafe. This time of the year, we are exposed much more to the elements we are exposed to the sun and just because it is overcast doesn't mean that those uv those burning rays are going to come down and you know that that they're not going to burn you one of the worst cases that i ever had of sunburn um i was in in schlanger one year with my family and i fell asleep in the sun but i thought oh you know i don't have to worry about it there's a you know this, what can be? What could go wrong, right? Uh, there was a breeze blowing. It was a cool day. It was overcast, and I fell asleep on the patio. And when I woke up a few hours later, I could not move my back, the backs of my legs, my entire back. Everything was just burnt, burnt, burnt. And uh, the minute I exposed it to any kind of water, it became blisters. It was one of the that I actually after that uh, I cover up wherever I can. It's uh, it was terrible, terrible, terrible. Now, bearing in mind that that kind of damage can often lead to skin cancers, so it's just not worth the risk, and that's why I'm sharing the story. Uh, can we talk about how to recognise skin cancers? Okay, Kathy, just before we get to the skin cancers, I think your experience is an excellent learning um, lesson for, uh, school fees. For, our, for our listeners. The worst thing you can do is actually to fall asleep in the sun. The reason being is in that period of time, uh, you're incurring sun damage. The chances are that for the time that you were sleeping, you were probably not covered up like you pointed out. You didn't have the, the urge or the, or the recognition to apply sunscreen. And it is those blistering sunburns that you have that puts you at risk of the development of a certain type of skin cancer that's called melanoma skin cancer. Blistering sunburns certainly begin to uh, increase your risk um, when you compare to the general population for, and if you match that for gender and, and age and skin type. So falling asleep in the sun certainly is an absolute no-no. And how often, like you pointed out, do you see at the, the sunny resorts people lying in the sun and sleeping uh, or even undoing the backs of their of their bikini tops in order to get a uniform so-called tan or a browning of the of the absolutely because you look so vital and you look so healthy when you've got that you know when you have that glow about you. The problem is is that when you get as burnt as I did, you peel. On that particular point <laughs> of the of the of you look so so brown and you, and you look so healthy healthy yeah. The reason why that actually happens is that there's been a few studies that have been done that shows that ultraviolet light tends to stimulate the production of happy hormones. 
So the hormones that actually are responsible for good well-being are produced better and in higher amounts in patients who have been sun exposed. So if you look at the way society perceives people, for those who've, who've got a sunburn, it is assumed that, oh, sorry, a, a sun, uh, a suntan, sorry, not a burn, a suntan. For those who've got a suntan, it is assumed that that particular person was out on holiday on a recreational activity. And for someone who's perpetually suntanned, it is assumed that that particular person is often on holiday and therefore probably denotes or suggests affluence. Now, that's what society perceives the person, that's the situation the, the person to be in. The person is actually having the suntan. What's happening is that they are actually receiving or higher doses of, or ha- are producing higher doses of those happy hormones in the brain, which then gives them that happier feeling. So there's an overall sense of well-being in that particular individual, which is why artificial tanning beds are so popular. It's not so much the physical or visible skin appearance that makes them feel better. It is the induction of those hormones that makes them feel better. And that's the reason why they will buy packages and have tanning beds used on a regular basis. What's your thought on tanning beds? In one word? Yes. No. You shouldn't have them? You shouldn't be having them. Does anybody actually still have them? Yes, many many people do have them. They either buy them and use them for private use, so regular use of the, of the tanning bed. Then you'd have salons that actually have them and certain gyms also have them. Really? They still have them. Even though they have directly been linked to cancer? Absolutely. And a lot of them will argue and say that they are not, but there are many conclusive, strong studies to suggest that the high-dose, intermittent, high-dose, intermittent exposure to, to UVB um, is a high-risk um, factor for the development of non-melanoma, uh, sorry, for melanoma skin cancer. So the, the, the data is out there. In fact, in my opinion, um, those tanning beds should actually have consent forms that are signed before using them, informing well, the they patient. they probably do, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. whether, people, whether people are actually um, adhering to that is another story altogether. And like a cigarette box, for example, your tanning bed ideally should have a sticker somewhere on it so that the person who's using it is aware that the excessive use of tanning beds can induce skin cancer. Hmm. It doesn't occur overnight. But certainly with repetitive use, you certainly are putting yourself at a great disadvantage in the long run. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. Uh, If you get sunburned, what is the best thing to do afterwards? I've been told everything from uh, putting on aloe vera to taking a hot bath because apparently a hot bath takes out the sting. Did you know that? Until you're sunburned and then you want to actually just scream the roof down. This, the, um, rule number one, don't get yourself in that position in the first place. In other words, don't get yourself sunburned. Sure. Um, having that, uh, falling asleep and having uh, standing up thereafter with that red man syndrome is just not fun at all. Sure. It's just not worth it. The discomfort you're going to experience in the rest of your holiday as you experience in Amishlanga, it just makes you miserable and makes everything you do thereafter miserable. 
However, should there be an unfortunate or an unplanned event that results in you incurring a sunburn, there are a few things that you can do. Some people prefer the the hot shower because what it does is it tends to um, distract the brain from the actual damage that's occurring on the skin itself. Does it so actually work though? Because doesn't isn't that it's what only makes temp- the blisters come? It's only temporary. It's only temporary. However, you're probably better off in a in cooler water. Um, other things you can do are when a sunburn has occurred, your skin becomes red and swollen, blistered, because there's an inflammatory process that occurs as a result of that UV damage. So anti-inflammatories do go a long way in improving what, the, improving the level of discomfort. So you can take an oral in, an anti-inflammatory, like a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory you can use, something like um, diclofenac or a uh, ibuprofen would assist you in the reduction of the redness, the pain, and the swelling. It certainly will assist you there. Or at the very least, reduce the degree of the blistering and the peeling that's going to occur subsequently. The other thing that you can do is, yes, aloe vera gels. Usually there are these cooling, icy, icy cool gels that you would, that you'd buy over the counter. No, I think there's one called Fridge, I think. There, there, there are it a few of them. F- it actually makes you feel cooler. Correct. They, you can use those. And they usually have some sort of um, additive in them, like aloe vera, aloe vera, for example, or vitamin E, for example, uh, because in this inflammatory process, you get a lot of free, rad- free radicals that are being produced. So antioxidants go a long way in mopping up those free radicals to prevent them from compounding that inflammatory reaction and, and compounding the damage. So if you can get those on board as quickly as possible, they, cert- they, they, they certainly can help. And if you go to your local, your local pharmacy, you will find a lot of commercially available preparations. However, take note of the number on the shelf of those items. For example, for every 10 sunscreens that are currently being sold, you'll find one or two of these from a volume point of view. And the reason being is the focus is more towards the prevention rather than trying to run after sure, the horse. prevention uh, is better than care. Absolutely. absolutely. So you'll find that these items are, are still being used, but not as frequently as sunscreens are currently being used. Hmm. Okay. So uh, if you've got any questions, any comments... Join the conversation, 34519, that's a text line. You can also uh, WhatsApp on 061-895-1019. We've actually got a wonderful giveaway, courtesy of Cetaful. Now, Craig, if you can please pass me that lovely package over there, because it looks absolutely gorgeous. It's all wrapped up and it's got a bow, and you can actually go to uh, High FM uh, on Twitter and you'll be able to see. And uh, this is a wonderful package. What is it? Um, Cityville have um, um, come come along and uh, sponsored this particular package. Yeah. Uh, in the package we have um, three sunscreens um, of fifty the, plus, yeah, thirty plus, and you also have a kitty's a kitty sunscreen as well. Um, and what we also have there is a Cityville gentle cleansing lotion, which That's a brilliant uh, is, cleanser, is yeah. an extremely um, versatile and universal cleanser that you can use. And that will probably be your cleanser of choice if you're going to be sunburnt because it wouldn't cause irritation following the sunburn. But you, like I said, you ought not to incur the sunburn if yeah. you're using these type of sunscreens. Um, and a lot of companies, including Cetaphil, are, are producing kiddies ranges as well. Which are Why do kids have to have a separate range? 
Um, pediatric skin behaves differently from adult skin. Pediatric skin is a lot more sensitive, um, and pediatric skin uh, tends to burn a lot more e- uh, uh, easily. You'll find that um, also with the kids, uh, some of the sun- sunscreens are including a, or some of the companies are including a, a color or a dye in their sunscreens, such that um, if you are going to be instructing your seven-year-old to take the sunscreen to school, you could teach the child to spread the sunscreen properly. So use the sunscreen until you can't see the color anymore. Nice. So it, it enables the child to begin to, you're going to empower the child and get the child into a habit of using the sunscreen regularly. So, um, I mean, there's been a slip, slop, slap campaign that's that's been running in Australia for more than 20 years and now. And it's worked. And it has worked because they targeted the, um, the creches the junior and senior primaries at the very, very beginning of their campaign. That was 20 years ago. And you'll find that those children who had been the target of that campaign, when they eventually turn into adolescents and, um, and young adults, their sunscreen or sun protection habits were a lot better and more ingrained in them. Uh, so you won't find them regularly at the Australian beaches, for example, exposing themselves uh, like someone from the previous generation, for example. And the incidence of, of skin cancer in Australia and New Zealand, for example, have not uh, ha- have no longer begun to increase. It's kind of plateaued out. Uh, so it has reached a peak. And over the past few years, they've noticed that th- that incidence has sort of flattened. And we are hoping and expecting that that particular campaign then begins to bear further fruit in reducing the incidence of skin cancer um, going forward. And South Africa does have a skin cancer foundation that also has their own um, um, skin cancer campaign as well. And they run on the 1st of September every year. They run a free skin cancer screening campaign um, via their website and through participating dermatologists, uh, whereby we screen patients for skin cancer um, and advise as well. And they do have a lot of um, important, correct material on their website as well. Um, so, so make use of the so information the, available. Yeah, the thing is that the South African campaign is probably about fifteen years behind that Australian one. So we are expecting and hoping that in time we begin to see the same improvements in our skin cancer numbers, uh, such that we are we are beginning to see a, a reduction. Uh, and coming to skin cancer and how you recognize it. Yeah, we were going to talk about that. Should you be worried about... Okay, so let's talk about recognizing, and then I've got a, a message here that I want to read to you. Okay. Uh, skin cancer can be very innocuous. Uh, innocuous. If we're talking about skin cancer on this particular show with respect to the sun, then I'm going to limit this particular conversation to, to those type of skin cancers that occur in and around or originate out of the outer layer of the skin. So we're going to focus for this discussion only on the melanoma skin cancers and the non-melanoma skin cancers. Melanoma skin cancer can occur out of the cells that produce pigment to the skin. These are found in the lowermost part of the outermost layer of the skin. They are responsible for for, for producing our our color. Melatonin. Uh, melanin, 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 right. melanin. So melanoma basically occurs out of the melanocytes. 
Non-melanoma skin cancer is is the type of skin cancer that occurs out of the other layers, uh, the other cells in the outermost layer of the skin. So there we're talking about the squamous cells. Now, from non-melanoma skin cancer, the commonest type of of cancer, not just skin cancer, the commonest type of cancer in mankind is basal cell carcinoma. So this is out of the melanoma. This, no, no, this is non-melanoma. Non-melanoma. This is from the squamous cells themselves. Okay, so this is basal cell. Basal cell carcinoma. And basal cell carcinoma uh, usually is sun-induced. There are a few um, syndromes in which patients may develop basal cell carcinoma without necessarily having excessive sun exposure. But the majority is? The majority of them, 95 to 97% of them basically would occur as a result of excessive sun, sun exposure. <laughs> the other non-melanoma skin cancer is squamous cell carcinoma. That's the other sun-induced skin cancer. So I think for the purposes of this discussion, we'll, we'll, we'll confine ourselves to those three main ones. Melanoma can occur out of a pre-existing mole. That's a dot or a mole that is changing. The changes can be rapid in a few cases, but in the majority of cases, that particular mole would undergo very, very subtle changes. For example, you may find asymmetry of a previously ovoid or oval or round mole. So something begins to happen on one corner or one edge that's not uniform throughout it. Second, it's no longer round. It's no, it's no longer, it looks like two on top of each it, other. It's, it's, it's no longer uniformly shaped. That also lends itself to the second um, clue, which is border changes. So the border becomes more moth-eaten or geographic or more like a, a map-like shape. So they're not clear-cut. It's not clear-cut. Okay. Then you'd also find color variation. So an increase in color or a decrease in color or a variation in color in the same lesion. Okay. Then you look at diameter. Diameter, area or size. Any increase in diameter, area or size that can't be explained. E would be for elevation. So a mole that, is, that was previously flat then becomes elevated. That could indicate a nodular melanoma. Bearing in mind that certain types of benign lesions are inherently elevated. But a mole that was flat that now begins to become elevated it may be a problem. And then if you look at F and G, a lesion that begins to become fast growing. Okay. So if you could recap that. You look I'm actually going to tweet all of these. A okay. So A, B, C, D, E, F. Correct. What was G? Uh, fast growing. F and oh, G. F, F and G. F and G. Fast growing. Okay. Fast growing. Uh, so A is it's asymmetrical. Asymmetry. B is um, border, border changes. C is color variation. Now, color variation, with any of these, you need to compare them to what your normal color Correct. variation is throughout your body. Correct. So if you normally have very, very dark moles or blemishes, then... And one looks out of place. And one looks out of place. Perhaps it's lighter. Absolutely. And not necessarily darker. Correct. So that's why we use the word color variation rather than color increase. Right. Uh, D stands for diameter. Area or size. Area or size. So what is the area size Generally, that, you, it, sh that it, you should be concerned about? Okay. Any mold that is changing in size is in a generally, problem. Generally. Okay. 
So in other words, if it was two millimeters and it's now four millimeters, it's changing in size. It means it is already F and G. It's fast growing. Okay. But if you look at a mole that is more than about six millimeters, those are the ones you got to keep a little bit of a closer, a closer tab on, right? Um, it's not very much. It, that's a, essentially that's, that's the size of a back of a pencil eraser. Yeah. You use that as a guide. If it's larger than the back of a pencil eraser, then you've got to keep a, a closer look on that one. Uh, and you'll find that sometimes a mole may remain static or, or uh, at a particular size for a long period of time and then suddenly begins to, be, begins to misbehave. And that misbehavior can be any one of those features that we just, just um, mentioned now. The other way to look at this is to look at your ugly duckling. You're pointing out that you've got to look at your molds in the, co- in the context of all your other molds. It's what's normal for you. What's normal for you. Okay. And it is that one ugly duckling is what you're looking out for. So sometimes we remove a mold not because it follows that criteria of A, B, C, D, E, F, but because that particular mold is beginning to now look different from, compared to all the other molds when previously it was looking the same. There may not be a specific criteria that it may follow, but certainly it's indicating that there's some change that's going on in that mole. So if you want to keep an eye on yourself and you're asking, how do you recognize it? Then the correct way to go about doing this is every four to six weeks um, is to stand in front of a mirror um, and you're going to need to undress all the parts of your skin at some point in time completely. You can use a hand mirror for those areas where you are unable to see directly. So the back, the buttock area, in between the thighs, you may require um, a mirror for that. Don't forget to examine yourself in between your toes and under the sole of your foot. Because you can develop melanoma in those areas. Acral lentiginous melanoma can occur underneath the foot. And and subungal melanoma can occur underneath your nail plate. So if you are going to be doing this... These are anomalies, though. These aren't common. They're not... They're not... Under your foot, between your toes. They're not usual. Under your nail. But I suppose as dermatologists do see them more commonly because they tend to gravitate towards us. So, but what I'm saying is that don't forget to examine all the areas. Um, What would a mole under your nail look like? Would it look like a blood blister? Absolutely. It would look very, very much like a sub-angle hematoma. Sub meaning below, angle meaning nail plate. Hematoma means blood collection. So if you, you've smashed your hand in a doorway, that particular hematoma or blood collection can very easily mimic melanoma. Now, in the case of preceding trauma, in majority of cases, it being so painful, most people will recall the trauma. So in, when you've got that sort of scenario, it's not too difficult to make the diagnosis. But when you've got a little black spot underneath the nail, and you're beginning to see streaking or discoloration of the nail in a longitudinal or a line type of fashion, you've got to think about there being a mole in the nail bed because that mole can certainly become melanoma in the long run. Okay. So melanoma, those are the ways you're going to be looking at. And, and like I said, there are going to be some areas where you're going to find it difficult to, to keep an eye on. Get your partner, get a family member to keep an eye on areas like the back and if there's something that makes you feel a bit uncomfortable, we've all got smartphones these days. Take a photograph, 
take the photograph two weeks later, take another photograph two weeks later. And then could you be able to see over a period of, of six weeks? If, you know? if, there's, yeah, if there's quite obvious changes, you'd begin to see them. Um, us dermatologists, we would use special equipment like a dermatoscope, which would a handheld one looks very similar to most people would say it looks like a torch, but it actually works with pol- polarized light. And what we oh, do so is you can see it, we can, it you can see out. you can see the, the 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 detail of the lesion a lot better using a magnifying glass and polar, polarized light. So we would assess the mole in that way. And if you are in doubt, we would photograph that. And you would then keep a digital record of that particular mole. And depending on the features that make us feel a bit uncomfortable or the extent of those features, if it's something that worries us immediately, it's coming out. If it's something that we're still not sure because it's your first visit, we've got no previous pictures to compare with, we'd say, look, there aren't enough features for us to have it removed. Let's keep an eye on it. Come back to us in about two to three months' time and let's rephotograph it and then compare and a lot of the times you end up seeing subtle changes that would have otherwise been missed with the naked eye. And you could still pick up that melanoma in its very early stages or a melanoma in its pre-melanoma stage, which a simple excision or removal uh, by local anesthetic would essentially solve your problem. So vigilance and observation is exceptionally important. Coming to the, to the, to the non-melanomas, um, the basal cell and squamous cell carcinomas, they usually start as a small, vague, reddish, or a pinky-looking um, patch or plaque that is slightly elevated. They can have more of a bump to them in the case of a nodular BCC. But again, very, very innocuous. Uh, innocuous. You may find, Will that be itchy? You may find sometimes it's an itch, sometimes it's not itchy. By the way, itchy molds are, be- are a problem. If you can't explain the itch in the mold... For example, a mole that's sitting under a brass strap or under a, a waistband or a, that's being irritated. If it's in an area that is not expected to be to be chafing on something, that mole basically needs to be. You need to have a closer look at that. So now we've got an H and an I. So we've added H and I to your alphabet to of alphabet. how to recognise uh, cancer. Absolutely. Okay, we're going to go through that. So get a pen and paper. I want you to write this down. Uh, it's very important that you know this. Also, we've got this wonderful, wonderful hamper of Cetaphil, uh, gentle skin. Well, the hamper is courtesy of Cetaphil. They are skin products. You can pick them up at, at Diskin, but we want to give away this uh, wonderful hamper. So uh, I'll tell you what it contains. Day-long kids, 50-plus SPF. Um, Dr. Isak is actually going to tell us how to apply you know, skin, uh, the sun protection effectively and correctly because if you apply it and think that you're done, you're wrong. Uh, also, then there's uh, 30 UVB SPF high protection and 50 uh, high protection SPF for adults, So, uh, as well as the gentle skin cleanser. If you'd like to win this, we're going to ask you what the A in our cancer recognition alphabet stands for. What is that A? The most important thing that you need to know are these A to I, how to recognize cancer in yourself, in your loved ones, and in your children, grandchildren. So if you know 34519, what does the A stand for? You let us know. 34519. Those texts are charged at one rand fifty. You can also WhatsApp us on zero six one 
0891-895-1019. We're going to give it away before the end of this Diskem Medical Monday. And thank you very much to Cetaville um, and to Dr. Essak for, for bringing this in. We always love guests who bear gifts, right? Absolutely. <laughs> okay, so um, I've got some messages that I need to ask you about. Um, hi, dear Kathy and guest. Isn't that nice? Already, already we're off to a very good start. Good start. Uh, can skin damage occurring in children be reversed with time and treatment to prevent melanomas and skin cancers later in life? The chances of reversal of damage is good in a child, provided that you eliminate that regular insult. So the important thing is that if your child, for example, have been, has been playing in the sun for all of these years... Uh, let's say it's a seven, eight-year-old child who's playing in the sun. And if you now going forward begin to become a lot more diligent with the sun protection, which would include the clothing issue and and not playing out in the sun at uh, peak times of the day and applying your sunscreen and teaching the child how to apply the sunscreen and staying out of the sun if your shadow is longer than your height, that's going to be a good way in allowing the child to recover from that initial damage in the in the in the early years. However, if that if that negligent behavior just continues through adolescence, it's going to be very, very difficult for you to uh, to reverse that damage. There's been a lot of people who have this impression that um, if I spend time in the sunlight without any protection and in increasing exposure times or doses of UVB, I'm going to have this photo-hardened skin. That is actually... In my opinion, a myth. You actually are having cumulative sun damage as the years go by. So don't think that, well, last year I could tolerate a half an hour in the sun without a sunscreen. Um, Over a period of time, I've increased my sun exposure. So this year I should be able to tolerate an hour in the sun without a sunscreen. That's, That's certainly going to not hold you in good stead in the long run. Okay. Good advice. Um, Barry says he has a mole that changed and then disappeared. Now it's just left a white patch. There are a few moles that can undergo what we call regression. Um, The mole essentially can initially undergo color changes within it. Um, There is something else or another entity called a halo nevus where it may appear to be a mole, and as time goes by, the colored part of the nevus basically regresses, leaving you with a white patch in the background. So those are benign entities. However, regression of a, of a mole or a misbehaving mole is usually a, a regarded as a sinister feature. My suggestion to Barry is to have that, have that area checked out, um, consult the dermatologist, have them take a good look at that area, also examine you elsewhere for, for your, uh, your, your other moles as well, and take a decision as to whether they would need to have that area biopsied at the very least or even removed completely. Okay, there's your advice, Barry. Um, let's go through the A to I of how to recognize skin cancer. This comes straight from our guest, Dr. Irshad Mohammed Esak. Absolutely brilliant guy and uh, love talking to him. So uh, number one, or A, 
A stands for asymmetry. If you look at a mole and it is not symmetrical, it's not an equal shape on both sides. The one side may look like a little flangey. It might look like it's got fingers and the other side is, is curved. That's, it has to be asymmetrical. Or it's, got, or it's got a little, it looks like a tadpole. So you've got a, 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 a small yeah. area that's growing a tail out or a pseudopod, a little leg or a little streak. Yeah. Those are what you're going to be looking out for. Okay, so A is for asymmetry. B is for the border changes. If you look at a mole, it should have clear borders. There should be no bleeding through. It should, it should be clear. So uh, if there's any changes in the borders. Number or C stands for color variation. Now, your color variation, it should, be, it should either increase or decrease. It could be both. It could be that this particular mole is getting darker than what's normal for you or it's getting lighter than what's normal for you. Or you may see variations in color within the same area. Oh, that's right. It can become blue. It can have red in it. Correct. For example, redness redness can can indicate, uh, a background redness can indicate um, an increased blood supply. An increased blood, blood supply could suggest it is supporting a growth. So you can get reddened areas, you can get black areas, you can even get what we call blue or grey veiled areas. So any color variation or any non-uniform color patterns in them, have them checked out. Okay, so that's the A, B and C. The D stands for diameter. Any mole that is getting bigger and especially moles that are six millimeters or, or larger, you should be watching very carefully. E is for elevation. If you look at the mole from the side or you touch it, that you feel that it's actually raised, right? That's the E, the elevation. F and G is fast growing. So, uh, yeah, it's a it's a fast it's fast, fast growing. It's changing on a you know in a period of two weeks. You can see a change in it. Then go and check it out as soon as possible. The H. Homogenous. Absolutely. Right? So the H is, what's homogenous? Homogenous is when there's something uniform, what's normal. So if you, you have to look at your um, moles in relation to what's normal for you. Is that a good word Absolutely. for the H? Absolutely. <laughs> and I is if any of your moles are itchy, itchy. you've got to go and get them checked out. Absolutely. And that's the alphabet of the uh, Diagnosing a skin, yeah, skin cancer and a melanoma. Okay, so we asked you a question because we do want to give this uh, beautiful uh, package. It's it's wrapped with a bow, and it's got uh, it's very fancy, courtesy of Cetaphil. Uh It's got sun protection factor fifty plus for adults, for kids, as well as a, a thirty plus and a gentle skin cleanser as well. I asked you a question, and I said, what does the A in the cancer or the melanoma alphabet stand for and it is in fact asymmetry uh ivana well done ivana oh bianca says thank you so much for the extremely useful information oh my gosh it's worth a thousand rand well now we've got another 500 people entering <laughs> Asymmetry of Pollack, he says, uh, and Bianca says, thanks for the extremely useful information. Asymmetric says Ivana, asymmetry, and uh, asymmetry says Barbara Rigdon, lots of unsigned, says uh, asymmetry. Who are we going to give it to?
And you leave the choice to you. Oh, thanks. The things you do for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, Ivana has actually sent through a few messages. So, Ivana, we're going to give it to you. And uh, Mandy will be in touch with you a little bit later and to organize that you can come and collect this. But well done. But it's absolutely beautiful. It's worth a thousand rand. You can actually get to Diskem and you can go and get uh, these fantastic products very, very quickly. We've got 60 seconds. Can you tell us what is the correct way to apply sunscreen? Okay. Essentially, you need to apply a sunscreen evenly. You need to apply your sunscreen enough to cover the areas properly. In fact, in the lab, we actually test the sunscreen at 0.2 grams per uh, sorry one gram per square per 0.2 square centimeters. So you need about five mils for you to apply over uh, sorry a mil to apply over a five square centimeter area. But we don't usually use sunscreens that much. So apply it regularly, uh, uniformly, and regularly. Regularly means on a two to three hourly basis, ideally. If it's water sports, or if you are uh, perspiring, or you're going to be wiping or your sweat away using a towel, you're going to need to apply your sunscreen thereafter. If you are um, going to be within the water itself and spending time, don't have this impression that the water is providing for me protection because I'm still cool. People come out of the water, leave the water on and allow it to evaporate automatically. You need to dry yourself off and then apply your sunscreen. Um, Another important thing is that make sure you're using high SPFs and there are very few companies that actually do, um, for example, UVB protection. That's what your SPF actually is giving you an idea about. But very few of them actually include UVA protection, for example, like the Cetaphil range here. Um, Not all of them have a UVA index or, or UVA protection to them. So look for a sunscreen that's got a high UVB protection and a high UVA protection as well. And whether you're using a spray or a, or a cream or a gel or whatever, whatever formulation you find comfort with or think that you're going to be tolerant of, that's the one that you need to use uh, um, regularly. Um, and the other important thing is that bear in mind that you need to use a hat or, or a broad-brimmed hat to cover or give you additional protection over your ears and the back of your neck as well. Is it better to go with a natural substance, like a, like a straw, like one of those straw, um, broad-rimmed hat, like a Panama hat, something like that, I, I don't versus think that the, a cloth hat? I don't think that, that, that the fabric makes a difference uh, in terms of the protection. I think it, it would more be the weave of the fabric and the shape of the hat in terms of what sort of shade that it, that it provides for you. So, for example, a cricketer's floppy hat would be a better idea than using a, a peaked cap because okay. that provides you with sh- shade or protection all around your entire head. Uh, and bear in mind, we also have molds on our on our scalps behind the hairline as well. So you may want to take a look at those also when you, have, when you get a chance to do so. All right. We have to get out of here. We are already so late. Thank you very, very much. For, for coming in. It's always Dr. a pleasure. Dr. Ishad uh, Mohammed Esak, he is a dermatologist. Go and Google him. Go on. And what incredible uh, advice. Uh, I think that one of the most effective things that I've ever learned um, on this Disc Game Medical Monday from such a wide range of, of experts is how to recognize melanoma. And that's the A to I um, alphabet. And I actually... I'm going to tweet that. If you don't follow me on Twitter, do it. It's at Kathy Kaler, K-A-T-H-Y-K-A-L-E-R. Listen, you God bless. You have yourself a wonderful, wonderful holiday. Stay safe. Stay good. 
and uh, we'll see you when you get back from holiday. God bless. Bye-bye. Medical Monday is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care.